You're listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSM, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecorora. Night three. Night three. Who has had an amazing, incredible, awesome weekend? I have had one too, and I am so thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for a lot of people actually. And before we get moving into tonight, I want us to take a second and to tell people that we're thankful for them and to honor them. So first and foremost, I want to thank, they're gonna be so mad at me for this, but Miss Terry just slid in. I don't know where Miss Jeannie is, but they have been cooking up a storm this weekend. And they don't get any credit, it seems. And man, that was terrible applause for the people who've been feeding you. So I need you to act like they fed you. Golly. Woohoo. Yes. Some other people that I think oftentimes get overlooked are the people who, when something goes wrong in this room, everybody looks at. But if everything's going right, nobody even notices they're there. So I want you guys to please give it up for Chris running sound and Zeus running lights. We are so thankful for you guys. I also want to say a big thank you to our incredible band. Have you guys enjoyed being led by them? Yeah. I also want to say a big thanks to the man right here making the videos and photos happening, Mr. James. And last but definitely not least, I want to say thank you to every single one of the amazing, awesome RSM leaders and volunteers that we have. How cool have they been? Yes! Yeah! Man, we have some really cool people we get to do RSM with, don't we? Yeah. And here's the thing. In addition to having awesome people that we've been with, this past weekend, we've been able to talk about truths and, and of Scripture. We've been able to hang out. We also have something to look forward to tomorrow because I think we're actually going to be baptizing some people tomorrow morning in the ocean. Yeah. How cool is that? Yes. So I am super excited. We're going to have to get up a little earlier, but I think it's for a good cause. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. It's pretty cool, right? Awesome. Awesome. Well, night three, here we go. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're kind of going to get moving, okay? Lord, I thank you for this night. I thank you for who you are and what you've already done. And I believe you are not done yet. And so, Lord, I pray that you would rid us of any distractions in the name of Jesus. May our ears, may our minds, may our hearts be open to receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, would you speak through me? And would you do what only you can do? Penetrate our hearts. And may 
may we be changed and challenged and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right, all right. So, excuse me, I had to, little, I had to let a little burp out. Just so you guys know, I'm always in a battle, like on stage talking. For some reason, I just have this urge all the time to burp. So, like, if you ever hear, like, if there's ever, like, a long pause, it's probably because I'm about to burp. So, just so you guys know, that's a thing. Anyways, night one, we talked about the Old Testament, right? We talked about how the Old Testament is this book that speaks of at the very beginning of, the, of God's plan, right? Of Genesis 3.15, that there's going to one day be, since man has sinned and has been separated from God, there's going to be somebody who is going to fulfill the greatest life that could ever be lived in Jesus. And that he was going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent was going to get his heel. And then last night, we talked about the gospel of Jesus, of how he lived this perfect life, and he died, and he rose again. And we, and we talked about how this was something that was awful. It was excruciating. It was extremely gruesome. But in the midst of being all that, Jesus can look back at his work and be satisfied. Why? Because relationship with his children made in the image of him is restored. And so, yes, Jesus went through an extremely painful and excruciating death, but it was because and for us. And tonight, we're going to continue to talk about the rest of the scriptures. We're going to talk about the New Testament a little bit and kind of park at the end of the New Testament. So I want to kick off tonight by continuing where we left off, right after the Gospels. And what comes after the Gospels? Acts, perfect. So this book, Acts of the Apostles, right? And we see that it was also written by the same guy who wrote Luke. Do you guys know who wrote Luke? <laughs> there you go, there you go. Yes, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote Acts of the Apostles. And originally they were a book that was together and same guy, same writer, right? And it talks about this new humanity that was brought through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? And it also talks about how the, these people, the early church, right, the people of God, were empowered by God's Holy Spirit, right? And, and we see that the Holy Spirit comes on the people in power in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then we see these crazy, miraculous things. If you have not read the books, book of Acts, it is crazy. Like some super, super wild stuff. I'll, I'll pick a couple of my favorite points from it, okay? So uh, let's see. At the end of Acts, Paul is traveling with some people and they get shipwrecked, right? And when they get off of the ship... They are held, these like, these like uh, Indians or tribal people kind of captured them a little bit and then they're helping them out and then they're around this fire and Paul is going to grab something and a viper comes out of the fire and bites Paul. And then these people are like, oh my goodness, this guy must be a murderer because that viper would never have bitten him if he wasn't a murderer. And then he should die, he doesn't die. And then the people were like, oh my gosh, Paul is a god because he got bit by this viper and he didn't die. So that happens. He 
you got snake bites. You got people even touching the hem of somebody's garment and they're being they're being healed. You've got people who are doing miraculous works. You've got people who Peter is walking up to a temple and somebody says, Hey man, you got any money? And he's like, No, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. Stand up and walk. And he was a lame man and he couldn't walk. There's crazy stories of the people of God being obedient to God and winning people over to Jesus. Um, and so following Acts, we see that there's a bunch of letters to different churches. Thirteen of those letters are written by the Apostle Paul. There was one letter called Hebrews, which I'm sure you guys have either heard about or read from before. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We know that there's the letters of James and Jude. Those were Jesus' brothers, Peter and John. And those are some of Jesus' first followers. And these letters talk about how the gospel changed history and it changed the course of humanity. It talked about how responding to the gospel means radical life change in us. Because here's the thing. When we accept Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, there needs to be evidence of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? And so it talks about that. And then the final book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight. And we know that it is written by a man named John, and the best evidence points to this is the same John who was Jesus' disciple. He wrote one through three John. He was an apostle. That's what the best evidence says. And the word revelation means simply a revealing or unveiling. And the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ in the sense that it belongs to him. He's the one doing the revealing, but... It also is this revelation as he is actually being revealed to us, okay? And so we're going to kind of park tonight in Revelations chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, if you guys want to turn there. And I'll give you a second to turn. It's at the very end of your Bible, the 12th chapter. I will be reading from the NLT version again tonight, um, and you guys just can give me a thumbs up whenever you are there and ready, and I will read it to you all. We got a couple thumbs, couple thumbs. The very end. Chapter 12, that's it, that's it. Chapter 12, 10 through 12, that's it, that's it. All right, we got a few thumbs and some people turning. All right. Well, you guys keep turning. I'm going to begin to read this verse, okay? And it says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. So, I can, I'll give you a little backstory to these verses, right? We know that this is some sort of vision that was revealed to, to John of, a new, of the new creation. This is after Jesus has come back. And how do we know this? We know this because the devil has already been cast down. He's already been defeated, right? The devil is defeated, but he has been defeated, okay? So we know that. 
And we know that right now, we do need somebody to fight the devil's accusations. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But right now, we do need that, and we actually have that. We have the Holy Spirit. This word paraclete, it means our advocate. And this Holy Spirit that we are given when we ask Jesus into our heart to be Lord and Savior, our advocate I want you to imagine this as, as somebody who actually pleads your case to a judge, okay? And that's what we have, right? So we know that this is some sort of vision, but we also can learn so much for it for right now. You see, because the book of Revelation is a book of predictive prophecy, okay? So let's break that down. What does it mean to, to make a prediction? A guess, right? And what is prophecy? An accurate guess for what? For now or for later? For future, right? For later, right? That's it. So this is a book of predictive prophecy. This is what's going to happen in the future, okay? So in some way, shape, or form, the book of Revelation will happen in the future, whether that's a literal thing, whether that is a, uh, some sort of figurative thing. There are lots and lots and lots of people who disagree over a lot of that. But there is so much that we can learn from these verses, okay? So knowing that this book of Revelation will one day happen, I think the best way for us to learn how to walk through life victoriously, seeing that the people of God were victorious over the devil, is to look at what this verse says. How were they victorious over the devil, right? If you are about to go up against your opponent, and I'll pick on Tucker. Let's say, Tucker, you're in a ball game, and you know that, or somehow you know that this person is going to shoot from corner three every single time. They're somehow going to get open every single time, and you know this before the game. How's your team going to prepare? Make sure that somebody's guarding the corner, right? You're not just going to leave the corner open every single time. And then you're going to win the game because that's the only way that they're going to win. See, we are told that the way to be victorious is to do a couple of different things. And oftentimes, we don't do those couple of things. That doesn't make any sense. This is how you win, and then we don't do that, right? So let's learn how to be victorious through what it looks like to be victorious. In the first way, three keys to victory over Satan. One, the blood. Let's go back to verse 11. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. And there's not some magical abracadabra potion or whatever to the blood of Jesus. It's not like the literal like lifeblood leaving Jesus' body that somehow gives us this victory over Satan because then there'd be like a finite amount, right? You see, the blood never loses its power and the blood is for all of us. So what is it? It's referring to the actual death of Jesus on that cross for our sins. It refers to him taking the judgment and wrath of God and fulfilling all these hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy and doing it on our behalf. Because remember, we have sinned. We have missed the mark. We deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from God. And Jesus did it in our place. So that's what the blood refers to. And how does the blood actually conquer Satan? Well, the first way is that his victory, Jesus, is our victory. 
You see, because again, Jesus fulfilled every single law, every single commandment, and then died for us. Is the perfect sacrifice that God required. We are saved not by anything that we could ever do, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. So how does the blood actually conquer Satan? Because the, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of perfect love. And what do we know from 1 John about perfect love? That perfect love casts out all fear. So what does that mean? That means that we have victory tomorrow we have victory for all eternity, but we can walk in victory today recognizing that every single one of the lies of Satan is not true because of the cross. This is what I mean. When you are constantly overwhelmed with the thoughts of I'm not good enough or my sin is too big to ever be saved or this shame or this guilt, I can never do this because of what I have done. You know what you can say? You can say, yes, I have done all those things, but the blood of Jesus covers those things. The cross has already covered those things. Perfect love casts out all fears. What do we know about Satan? We know that he is called by Jesus in the book of Mark, the father of lies. So everything that goes against the truth of God is a lie, right? Everything that goes against the truth that you are a son and you are a daughter, that you have literally been bought by the God, the creator of the universe, everything that goes against that is a lie. So the shame, the guilt, the regret that you are trying to walk through does not need to be something that you walk through. It needs to be something that you give up and you need to accept the fact that you have still been bought. Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The blood shows us that sin is a heinous thing. Because here's, here's what I know about sin, okay? Sin gives us this distorted reality that the, the good that we immediately feel is all that we're going to feel. Sin says, hey, do this thing now and don't worry about later. There's this kind of instant gratification, right? And we are a microwave generation. Honestly, at this point, a microwave is too slow for us. Like, we want to be able to cook a Hot Pocket in five seconds, not two minutes. Yeah, there you go, air fry. Air fry too slow. You know what Ellie and I do? We literally air fry burgers because I don't want to have to grill them. Straight up, straight up. Now, them things slap, but straight up, don't want to grill them. But here's the thing. Sin is like that. We'll walk through it. Because I don't want to have to deal with being honest with this person about where I'm at, I will lie straight to their face. Because I don't want to have to deal with the fact that I am absolutely, absolutely struggling with lust and I need to talk to somebody about this, I'm going to push it to the side and keep going to my bathroom every single night to watch this and then act like I'm all good when I get out. You're instantly gratifying yourself. And what are you doing? You are literally killing your soul in the process. And this is what the blood of Jesus shows us. It shows us that sin is a heinous thing. 
as much as it pleasures us in the moment, sin is actually murder. Do you know why? Because our sin put Jesus on the cross. Every single one of us are a murderer. The only innocent man to ever live and be killed is Jesus. And who put him on that cross? You and I. So the blood of Jesus shows us that sin is something that's terrible. And the death of Jesus on the cross, it brought us back from this eternal separation. And by remembering the cross, we want to obey. We want to follow God. Why? Because it's the perfect demonstration of love, like what we just said. No one has ever loved me better than Jesus. No one has ever loved you better than Jesus. And what does it make you want to do when somebody loves you well? It makes you want to run to them. It makes you want to confide in them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So ultimate victory against Satan is already won. Jesus already died on the cross, right? Jesus already died for our sin. But oftentimes, because we don't remember the cross and we don't remember the blood, we don't walk in victory today. We walk in defeat. And that doesn't make any sense. Victory is secured. Live like it. Remember the cross. Remember the blood. What's the next thing? It's the testimony. Their testimony. Right? And testimony comes from this word, marturia. And it's when you follow kind of the word origin all the way back, you get this word martus. And it's a witness or an eyewitness or an earwitness. Right? So when we're in a court of law, the eyewitness is going to tell what they saw or what they heard. Right? That's what a testimony is. This is what I've seen, what I've heard, what God has done in my life. Does that make sense? Cool. So. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, what God had done in their life. And what is big about that? Oftentimes, like what we said a minute ago, we get in this spot of shame, of guilt, of regret and forget the testimony of Jesus in our life. We forget, you know what? I am still full of this. I still need to figure this out. But thank God I am not where I was a couple of days ago or a couple months ago or a couple years ago. Or thanks be to God that because of what he has done, I am not condemned because therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Like what we said on night one, the remedy is to remember there is healing in remembering the blood and remembering the cross and remembering what Jesus has already done in your life. There's healing in that for our souls. So this testimony overcomes the lies and the deception of Satan. And as we've already said, Satan is the father of lies. So anything that contradicts God's truth Push it out. 
when talking about these letters, right? We talked about the letters from the apostles and how they talked about how Jesus changes everything, right? One of the thoughts in those letters is that we are to take every thought captive and submit it. Submit it to the goodness of God, to the righteousness of God, to the holiness of God, right? I was talking to a student the other night and was talking to him about how Martin Luther, the, the original guy from like hundreds of years ago, right? He talked about how if our minds are this like airspace, right, and our thoughts are these birds, here's the thing. You cannot control what birds fly above you, but you can control what birds make a nest in your head. You see, if you are constantly harboring thoughts of shame or guilt or regret or bitterness, are you taking every single thought captive and submitting it to Christ? Or are you living your life like a liar? I'm going to walk in shame when I have victory in Jesus. I'm going to walk in guilt when I have victory in Jesus. Don't do that to the cross. The cross has already paid for that stuff. And the third way, the third key to victory over Satan is the life to come. What do I mean by that? We look at verse 11 again. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You see, for a lot of the people in Bible times, they quite literally were killed and persecuted and martyred, meaning they were killed on behalf of what they believed because they were following Jesus. And here's the thing that is so powerful about this verse in Scripture. Is that if you're not afraid of losing your life, of losing your earthly life because of what's to come, what else can the devil take? What else can he take? The ancient Greek word for love here, they did not love their lives so much, is this word agape. And it speaks of a self-sacrificing, decision-based love. And it's up to each and every single one of us to choose. Will we love our lives to the death? Will our physical lives be the most precious thing to us? Or will we find our life by losing it for Jesus? And this is what I, th I know that I get wrong so often, what I think we get wrong so often is that we don't live our lives enough with a perspective of what is to come, with a perspective of heaven, with a perspective of this perfect union again with our creator. Because here's the thing, you can't take a Snapchat streak or you can't take your prestige in COD, or you can't take how much money you have, or you can't take this person that you're dating or whatever to heaven with you. Mark 8 says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And that's a scary verse. Because how many times have I chosen something temporary over something everlasting? How many times have I chosen instant gratification over eternal soul fulfillment? I remember there was this video that went around a, a while back. It was probably like 12 or 14 years ago, so y'all weren't born or whatever. But the GOAT, Tom Brady, was talking about, he had just signed what at this point was the biggest deal in football history. They were like, well, Tom, you just won your 455th Super Bowl and 365th MVP, and, you know, what's life like? And it was this 60-minute segment, and he was like, well... It's great. It's like, but something's missing. I can't seem to figure it out. I don't know what to do. The man was a millionaire. The man, by worldly standards, had it all together. He had a massive house. He had a supermodel wife. He was playing for a football team that was crazy. He was winning Super Bowls. Everybody wanted to be around him. His reputation was good. There wasn't a lot. Now, there were some people who would be like, yeah, Tom Brady's an athlete jerk, but most of the people didn't really care. They were like, man, I want to be around him. But something was missing. And oftentimes, we may not even realize it, but the thing that we are chasing after is secondary, is not enough for our souls. It's not Jesus. And I think oftentimes we put our head down and we want to do this thing and, and live out this American dream and be hard workers and do this and that and the other and, and make ends meet and whatever. And really what it is, is when we pick our head up and look around, we're going to be in a spot that we hate. Why? Because no girl or no state championship or no college that you get into or no degree or no job or whatever it may be will ever satisfy your soul. And a question that we need to ask ourselves is if we died today, if we died right now, how much of the world would we be trying to take with us? How much of our things would we be trying to take with us from the way that we're living? You see, the gospel changes how you live. See, life as an overcomer through the blood of Jesus looking forward to heaven changes everything. It changes the way that you love people. Because Jesus loved us. It changes the way that you honor one another. Because Jesus said, although I am the, the greatest king to ever live, creator of the universe, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a servant and wash the feet of my disciples. I'm going to humble myself enough to die on a cross that people were cursed for dying on. I'm going to take on the shame of God turning his back on me for us. It changes the, authentic, the, the authenticity in which you live. Because no longer am I going to live a duplicitous, a, du, a double life. 
because if Jesus has changed my heart from the inside out, the way that I am to Tom is gonna be the way that I am when I'm at home and Ellie has been annoying me all day or Israel has been acting like a fool all day. It changes who you are. It changes the way that you forgive others. Because although this person has done the same thing over and over and over and over again, I have put nails into Jesus' wrist and into his feet over and over and over again. It changes the way that you listen. Because it changes the way that you honor changes the way that you value other people. You see, the gospel changes everything. All of a sudden, every single opportunity in your life, every single decision in your life is an opportunity to take up your cross and deny yourself. terrible job of that, I can tell you that for sure. You see, because I believe deep down in my heart that a true follower of Jesus, one that has really, really, really submitted their life over to Jesus involves him in even the smallest little things. Tries to take up their cross in even the smallest little things. I, I feel like a, a a really, really awesome follower of Jesus, somebody who has really surrendered their life over and is extremely mature in the way that they live, probably gets inconvenienced a lot more than I do. Probably has a lot less free time than I do. Why? Because their free time is filled with loving other people or chasing after a God that loved them first. We're in this pursuit of trying to live a life so that we can one day have this lake house or this beach house and be able to vacation four times a year. And honestly, I don't see any vacations in the Bible. I see a Sabbath. But what I see is loving people. I see caring for people. Because the gospel changes everything. The pursuit of happiness turns into the pursuit of godliness. The pursuit of pleasure turns into the pursuit of righteousness. It changes everything. So, what I want us to do I want us to be able to reflect on this. Because what I believe, like what I said last night, is every single one of us has a next step. Every single one of us. And I think what that takes is just making room for God to speak in our hearts for us to be obedient to that. For us to reflect on the blood of Jesus for us to reflect on how, you know what, God has changed my life. 
And for us to actually take a minute and ask ourselves, say, search me, O God, and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me. Is there anything that I am putting above you? Is there anything that I am putting as Lord of my life that is not you? So that's what I want us to do, just to take a second and respond. So let's just bow our heads. Just seek God. The worship team is gonna, um, they're gonna, they're gonna play, but again, I want you guys to respond how you feel led. If that's in prayer, if that's in worship, but the goal is obedience. Thank you for listening to the Renovation Student Ministries podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.